May God hear us this morning and be pleased by our worship. Praise, Praise be to our God. Our first hymn this morning uh, can be found in the blue hymnal that you were given as you came in. Uh, hymn 430, Blessed Assurance, hymn 430. Friends in Christ, let us draw near to God our Father with a true heart to confess our sins and ask Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved You with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. 
For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord, for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our hearts dance for joy, and in our song we will praise our God. Our responsive reading this morning comes from Psalm chapter 18. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. To the devious you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Our second hymn this morning is hymn number 78, Great is Thy Faithfulness, hymn 7-8.
You may be seated. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 19. Starting in verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our our gospel reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees... And some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food and with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Mark 7 is uh, somewhat of a severe passage from Jesus to the Pharisees and the people who listen and have followed him. He speaks about tradition. He speaks about hypocrisy. What rules or what traditions do you follow in your life maybe 
Today, this week, maybe from your childhood that you remember. What traditions affect the way you live? What traditions affect the way you think about who you are in front of God and in front of other people? What is it about your actions that motivate you to be something or something in in front of other people? What is it about that? What's the motivation for how we live in front of people? Because there's an issue that Jesus is raising that he uses as an opportunity to teach. And the Pharisees, it says in verse 1, and the teachers of the law, the experts, the religious elite, the people that understand the law the best, or supposedly, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they come from Jerusalem, the place of authority, the place that has given them authority to go throughout the nation of Israel and to confront people who appear to be going against what's been taught by their ancestors. They gather around Jesus. You can see them closing in. They're interested in Jesus because Jesus is, is becoming famous And he has a a group of disciples with him that seek to follow what he teaches. He has influence. So they come to him to question him, to corner him, to see what he's about. And if he departs from what they teach, handle him appropriately. Gathered around Jesus and his disciples. I think in the same way that the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come and gather around Jesus to to observe him, to see what he's like, to maybe watch his actions, to maybe take some notes about how they can challenge him. I think of us in the modern day, maybe in a city that's not predominantly Christian or gospel abiding, or maybe back in our our home countries that are moving more towards secularism, people come and gather around us, maybe not for the intention of to, to question our, our teachings, but maybe to listen to what we have to say and maybe challenge what we believe as Christians. That people around us, whatever culture we're in, are going to observe our Christian life And be able to make assessments about who we are and based on how we live, who God is. And so the same is happening with Jesus and his disciples. And he sees, they see his disciples eating with unwashed hands. They had this tradition that was associated with their own ritualistic purity, their own purity that if they followed certain rules and regulations, then they felt that they were safe righteously before God, that somehow that they were morally correct if they withheld from these particular actions that deemed them unclean. But let's stop and bring this back to the present time. There's things that the culture that we live in or the culture that we're from There's things that we don't do as Christians that they will say are appropriate. And we can think of the big things that that maybe challenge our culture in an immoral way. Like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The lifestyle of the, the libertine that's trying to gain pleasure. The hedonistic lifestyle. But maybe it's not so drastic as that. Maybe it's Maybe it's frustration. Maybe it's a tone of voice with someone that you care about. Maybe it's a bitterness 
in your heart that God isn't giving you what you think you deserve. Or maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's other things that cause you to question God's goodness or to question your own morality or to sidestep your own morality to get something that you value more than your commitment to God. There's things that we don't do as Christians that the culture says is okay. But there's also things that they don't do that we do. You see, there's a difference. There's a difference between saying, you know, there's stuff that we don't do that they do, but there's also things that we do that they don't do. One of those things is confess and to be honest about our sin, not to hide it, to seek the gospel. But we see that there's a clash of culture here. And even though the people that are supposedly clashing with the Jewish culture, even though they are Jewish and they're from that community, they're from that, that heritage, you see that they're departing from something very, very uh, ingrained in their thinking. And that's the same for you and me, that we, we come from cultures that tell us things over and over, that, that give us an idea of what's important, of what we should seek, whether that's money or sex or, or prestige or the appearance of success, the appearance of value, whether that's beauty or accomplishments. Verse 3 says, They did not eat without ceremonial washing. They held to the traditions of the elders. There's a culture of what we ought to do, what we ought to be like, that the world tells us. It's, it's a culture. There's gatekeepers that, are, that we see maybe on the news or in politics or maybe on social media about style, about our presentation of our lives. There's thought leaders. There's influencers. And in this case, it was the elders. It was these tradition keepers of the law. It's so important to think if there are elders and traditions and keepers of the law and teachers and Pharisees that, that, that like to discuss things like the cleanliness of cups or kettles, we must think and interpret this in terms of our own lives. Who is around us that's telling us what is right and wrong? Who is around us that's telling us what we ought to be like or how we ought to talk or how we ought to live or what job we should take or where we should send our children to school? What is, it, what is it in your life? It's, it might be different for all of us. Verse 5, they say, the people in your life will ask you the same question. Why don't you live according to our traditions? Why are you different? You say you follow Jesus, but why would you live this way when you could live that way? Because we have this issue of hypocrisy. And uh, I was thinking about this maybe in my own life or in the lives of people that it's easy to see famous people and to assess what you think is going on in their lives or how they live. And, and, and something that is it's not too uh, different from this time in the, in the text, but the habit and the tendency to project, projection of, you know, if, if, you, turn, if you go to a, an old cinema, they have a projector that sends the the what the viewing whatever you're viewing onto this wall that makes it big it, it a projection of who we are 
is trying to have an appearance of something. That how we act and how we live and what we do and what we say and what we say we care about or what we talk about is a projection of who we are. But we have rituals today too. They're not just cleanliness, uncleanliness, religious things. But we project things like, I wasn't wrong. You misheard what I said. Or we project things upon other people. We say, well, you're just not smart enough or you're just not a a good debater. Your arguments are invalid. I think of examples of of people that that stand and say that they believe in things, maybe good things. Maybe it's religious. Maybe it's maybe it's about Social justice, maybe it's about climate change, maybe it's about the importance of our military, whatever it is, sometimes it's political. But do our lives actually back up the things that we say? For example, you could, you could take an example of someone that's, that's really, really focused on climate change, for example, but they still drive a particular car that uses petrol, they still take flights, they still consume more than they save or reuse but there's a maybe a sense of hypocrisy there not everybody but or if someone has an, a sense of entitlement and they're, they're wealthy and they live in a gated community but they're constantly talking about how other people maybe down the street are oppressed and it's like well there's a disconnect between the way you live your life and what you talk about or if i influence or if I try to speak to people about how the importance of God and, and how it's important for me to be patriotic, which aren't bad things in themselves, but if my life represents something else, then it's hypocrisy. Jesus calls them, calls them hypocrites. Now let me say this, and, and it's true. All of us deep down at some point are, hip, are hypocritical. What we say and what we believe are not how we live or is not always matched to what we say or what we believe. It's especially as Christians, it's it's impossible to live the perfect Christian life. But think about your hypocrisy, where you've fallen short maybe this week, where you've said, I believe this or that, but you went against it. Or you said this is the right thing to do, but you didn't have the courage to do it. Now think about your own hypocrisy. And then ask yourself, what is the goal of that hypocrisy? What caused me to go against my own beliefs to act this way? Or what made me think that that I could get away with something that I hold judgment over other people for? Right? Because the motivation for why we're hypocrites tells us what we love more than God. If something is powerful enough to change the way that we believe or to live against the ways we believe, then it tells us that there's something in our culture or in our mind or in the influence around us that convinced us that God is less important. What causes you to be hypocritical? What causes you to go against what you think? Because if we pound our fist on issues that we ultimately don't live up to, 
Jesus calls us hypocrites. And this is exactly what's happening with the Pharisees. They're complaining with Jesus about the cleanliness of their cups. And Jesus is saying, what about the cleanliness of your heart? You're worried about the cleanliness of a, a drinking vessel, but maybe your words are toxic. Maybe your lifestyle is greedy. Maybe your attitude is vindictive towards other people. Maybe you have a smile on your face, but in your mind you're full of hate. There's something that's motivating the Pharisees to live a hypocritical life. And the text often tells us that the Pharisees were motivated by prestige and they were motivated by money. And they, they, con they condemned other people to make themselves feel good and to look good, to project this lifestyle, this moral, moralistic behavior, in order to gain more respect what causes them to empower themselves. See, that was their motivation for being hypocrite. What's yours? What's mine? And how shall we live? The text says, he quotes Isaiah, they honor me with their lips. What they say is one thing, but their heart is far from me, meaning not just their actions, but how they feel is different than what they say. They worship me in vain. I think most of us would think that, would say that coming to church on Sunday is a good thing. That it's good to be here. That it's good to worship. It's good to, to read texts and be reminded of the gospel. But sometimes God says it's in vain. Meaning that it's meaningless to come to church if you are only here to go through the motions. That it's not about habit. It's an intentional thing. When we take the Eucharist this morning, it's an intentional thing. It's not something that we just do because it's 10 o'clock on Sunday, but that it actually means something. It's a connection. It's a symbol of, of something between you and God and what God has done for you, that it reminds us that our actions matter. It's not just something that we say we believe, but when we leave after having taken this, it's a memorial to what God has done through Christ. He says they, he's, Jesus is applying this, this text about the Israelites to the Pharisees in his day. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are man-made rules. They're based on appearances. They're based on what the culture says is acceptable. But he says somewhere along the way, verse 8, you've let go of the commands of God. And instead, you've let go of the commands of God and you've grabbed or you've held on to the traditions of men or people. The traditions of men often teach us to seek our own well-being, to seek and elevate ourselves above other people, to promote our kids above other people's kids. To make more money and to appear successful. To appear beautiful in order so that we can feel valuable. To make money and to acquire materialistic things in order to appear worthy. 
Our traditions tell us to be vocal about specific things, pet, pet movements or pet ideologies in order to make us look like we're compassionate or that we're moral. But do we hold to the commands of God? Do we use these things in order to appear that we're the real deal? Or do we hold to the commandments of God no matter how unpopular they are to prove that we're the real deal because of Christ? And what are the commands of God? To love your enemy. To forgive. Not because they deserve it, because you don't deserve it and you've received forgiveness from God. To be generous. Not because it makes you look good, but because God has been generous to you. So much of the commands of God are based on gratitude. What God has done for us. He constantly tells them in these texts. Like the prophet of Isaiah, but even more so maybe in the earlier texts. Genesis, Exodus. Pentateuch. He says, you should live this way when you go into the promised land, not because you're special, but because I rescued you. I brought you out of Egypt. I, I rescued you out of slavery, and I've given you these blessings. That's why you treat people better than you would maybe even treat yourself. Forgive, love, seek the good. Don't hold bitterness in your heart, but forgive people. Don't hold in the back of your mind that God owes you something. Some of the, I was telling Jenny the other day, some, some of the biggest things that I struggle with is, is just in simple entitlement. That things shouldn't go wrong. When things go wrong, I get really discouraged. Instead of thinking, I live in a broken world and anything that happens that's good is a blessing. It's so easy for me to get discouraged. And I've realized that if I truly believe that I'm a sinner and unworthy of God's grace, but at the same time get bothered when little things happen because I have a sense of entitlement of who I am, that's hypocrisy. I'm either one or the other. I either deserve everything from the world and I, I, and I have this, uh, what, what came to me is something that I deserve or I can say God has blessed me. I don't deserve it. Anything good is from his hand and anything that I get ought to be not just used for my life but to help other people. That's what it means to let go of the traditions of men and to hang on to the commandments of God. We constantly have to remind ourselves of the truth. I like this verse, verse 9. He says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. You have a fine way. You have a skilled way. You have a developed and perfected way of letting go of the commandments of God in order to follow something else. We have to untrain the tendency, the culture around us that's pushing us towards things that are not of Christ. We have to unlearn this. But it's not just influence outside against us. It's inside our hearts. We have, we have mastered ways of turning away from God. And we have to unlearn those things by God's grace. 
We all have elaborate ways to sidestep living in a truly godlike manner. This morning, one of the most important things that we can do as we approach this table is to confess in our hearts and to remind ourselves that yes, we are sinners. Yes, we are deserving of God's mercy, undeserving of God's mercy, but He graciously forgives. He graciously shows us His power and His mercy, despite the fact that we are hypocrites. And it's so easy to think that that's not the case. But when you stop and actually think about Christianity, it really is hypocritical. And I don't mean that in an irreverent way. But we basically claim God's holiness, though we don't deserve it. We tell people that we've been given something, even though we continue to sin. Even though we aren't perfect ourselves, we point to a Savior that we've been associated with through the gospel. And it's really, really easy to get in our minds, well, how can I be saved? How can I follow Christ and still follow the sins of the flesh? And that shouldn't cause us distress. It should lead us back to the truth. That's why he came when we fall short, when we catch ourselves being hypocritical, when a good friend comes to us and challenges us. When a family member says something to us and we speak harshly, it should remind us that we need the gospel. Not make us feel, oh, I'm, I must not be a Christian. I must not be this or that. The reason why Christ came is because we are hypocrites. And as long as you have the flesh in you and as long as I have the human nature in me, we're going to continue to fall short. But it's at that moment that we need to run desperately to Christ for grace. See, the Pharisees, when they were approached for their hypocrisy, they said, I'm not wrong. You just misunderstood what I said, or you just misunderstood the law. They were unwilling to say my projection of myself is false. Jesus calls us to live holy lives, but he knows that when we don't, it's how we respond that's most important. That's what this table represents this morning as we take the bread and the wine. That's the gospel. Consistently reminding ourselves that we fall short and that there is grace for us despite it because God is merciful and somehow, in some way, and for some reason loves us. Amen. We're going to take a moment. I know it's warm. We're going to take a moment of quiet to reflect on God's goodness. That if you find yourself in sin this morning, that there is an opportunity to confess now quietly to God and to come up here and remind yourself of what he's done for you, not what you've done for him. I pray for myself too, that in the next few moments, and as we come to take this table at the end of our service, that that would be more meaningful now than it has been in the past. That this isn't just some tradition that we do, but it's something that, that, that represents something very real and can be a life-changing thing 
as we go about our day and our lives. Let's take a moment to pray, to reflect on this text, to confess and to think about the blessings of God. And then we'll stand and say the Apostles' Creed. God listens and he hears our words. Rest assured that he heard yours. Would you stand with me as we recite the Apostles' Creed? It's the inside page, the handout. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We turn now to a time of uh, prayer, and we'll follow the uh, format of prayer that Jesus taught us, praying first for God and the glory of his name and his kingdom. Heavenly Father, almighty God, we pray for the honour of your name. We long for the day when everyone will bow before you in reverence and fear. In the meantime, Lord, we bow before your great and glorious name, remembering that you are a holy God and worthy of all praise. May your name be praised throughout the world and in our lives. Help us to live such lives that, as your Apostle Peter taught, though people accuse us of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify you on the day you visit us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And loving Lord, we lift before you this morning all who suffer and are are oppressed. We are aware of so much injustice in the world. Specifically this morning, we remember the people of Haiti following the assassination of their president the people of North Korea who are suffering uh, from famine and lack of food as well as freedom, and the people of Afghanistan at this uncertain time for them, and the people of Yemen and Tigray where conflicts rage. Lord God, strengthen those leaders, judges and police that fear you and seek to promote justice and protect the weak. Prosper the work of peacemakers and give us a greater understanding of the love you've shown us, the love that, despite our sinfulness, rescued and restored us in relationship with you. And so may we love others, putting others first, caring for those we meet who need love, protection and material help. May we do your will each day and thereby establish your kingdom here on earth as we await our Lord's return. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now we turn to praying for ourselves, for our daily bread. Father God, help us to live in the present, 
trusting you for all we need today and casting our worries and anxieties about tomorrow on you. We pray specifically for Dimitri as he settles back into life in Canada, for Ron and Jana as they prepare to return to Australia in September, and for Matthew and Jenny as they prepare to return to the US next month. Give us all grace, not only to be hearers of the word, but also doers of the same. Not only to love, but to live your gospel. Not only to profess, but also to practice your blessed commandments to the honour of your name. Lord, in your mercy. <clears throat> and finally, we pray for our own forgiveness and that we would be able to forgive others. Loving Father, we pray for your forgiveness for the many ways we failed you this past week. We pray for your forgiveness for our constant concern for our own needs and pleasures while ignoring you and the remainder of your creation. Forgive us and help us to forgive those that have hurt us. Enable us to show your love to others just as you show it to us daily. Lord, in your mercy. And we conclude our prayers with the set prayer for today, the sixth Sunday in Trinity, after Trinity. Merciful God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as pass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love toward you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Peace of the Lord be with you always.
It's rooted in the blessing and the mercies of God through Jesus Christ. It's for those who have actively trusted in Christ for the salvation to take with us this morning together. If that's not of your sentiment, if that is not what you trust in, we encourage you not to take it. If you are a Christian, we ask, as uh, is prescribed in Paul's text, 1 Corinthians, to reflect in your heart before you take this. This is not something that we take lightly. If you feel a sense of inadequacy or a sense of guilt or shame in your life this morning, this table is for that. If you feel that you have fallen short and that there's sin in your life and that you're undeserving of God's grace, it's true. But God loves you and has sent Christ to die for you. This table is for that very reason. So please remind yourself that before you take this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ. We thank you for the incredible sacrifice of you coming to this earth to die for people who don't care, who don't live the way you have us live. God, fill our hearts with a sense of gratitude, with a sense of our own need, with a sense of your worthiness, that we would turn our hearts to worship you in this act, that it would change the way that we live not just today, this week, from now on. God, help us to remind ourselves of this truth. And we pray that these elements would bless us as we take this together this morning, God. That it wouldn't be just a tradition, but that it would be a meaningful act and a source of your blessing. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I'm going to hold the, the elements as Asta plays, and you'll take, you'll take a piece of the bread, and if you wish, dip it into the wine. Uh, we won't be drinking directly from the cup for obvious reasons. So when you are ready, the table is prepared. It's been prepared for thousands of years through Christ. But when you're ready... Please come up and take the elements and receive this blessing from God.
receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.